0: Good morning, church. Oh, my goodness. I've got to do this three times. So if I'm going to make it, you're going to have to help a little better than that. Let's try it again. Good morning, church. I just need to tell you, the first crew that has you by about an average of 40 years, I think, they did so much better on that. So I'm going to give you some time uh, to catch up. What an honor it is to be with you and my good friend James I've known him for about 20 years, but you guys have a reputation. You know, in the book of the Revelation, we have the letters to the churches, and the churches have a reputation. You guys have a reputation around the state of Florida because what God is doing here and how he's multiplying what he's doing here for the nations. So would you do me a favor? Would you just give yourself uh, just a a hand of just gratitude for what God's doing in your, your church? What a... It's privileged to, to be here. Kimberly and I have had a, a, a great weekend with those of you that were part of the Parenting Conference. Um, we love family. We love family, in fact, we're big on the Purvis pack. That's our family, I think you'll see them on the screen. We have uh, five kids, and then we have a wonderful daughter-in-law that about a year and a half ago has come into our family. We love our family, but I need you to know something. I love the family of God. I mean, you are my tribe. You're the people that I've, I've grown up with. I grew up literally in church. In fact, I, I say I, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday night, all the time I, I was there. And so I just, I, I began to be in love with the things of God and, and the people of God. And really today, that's how we're going to end our time together is, is talking about the family of God. What does it mean? to be a part of the family of God? How do you how do you benefit from being part of the family of God? And we're going to find this in the book of Romans in chapter eight. So take out your Bibles or turn in and turn on your Bibles, however you find God's word there in your hands. And we're going to be in Romans chapter eight. When I was growing up at the end of Sunday night services, we would we would gather around the sanctuary, we called it, and we would hold hands and we would sing this song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain. I've been cleansed by his blood. We're joint heirs with Jesus as we travel the sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. And that's what we discover as we look through Romans chapter eight. We discover what it means to be part of the family of God. Now, I always want to be aware of who I'm talking to. So I recognize a lot of us have gathered here because this is the day that the church gathers. So a lot of us profess to be followers of Christ. You have that relationship with God through Jesus, his son. You know that when this life ends, you're gonna spend eternity with him in heaven. And so you, you're gonna see, are part of the family of God and there's a certain lifestyle that should be led as a result of that. But some of you are not yet there. And that's great, I'm so glad that, We can gather together, and you can be in a place where you're going to hear the truth of Scripture, and and yet today could be the day that you become a part of the family of God. And I believe this passage of Scripture is going to describe that as well. And here's what I want you to know. There's a central truth that I, I think all of us need to be walking out of here with. Here's the truth. When we become part of the family of God, the Spirit of God is living in us, and He's always working for our good. And God's glory and if you can embody that truth today as you leave this place determined as a follower of Christ to be led by the Spirit of God I, th- I think it'll have an impact in the rest of your life. I, I love the book of Romans I, I spent a lot of time there in, in our church in Tampa and um, I especially love chapter 8 there- there's so many things that help us in chapter eight in the book of Romans. In fact, there's a great evangelist named D.L. Moody in history. He said he'd rather live in Romans 8 than in the Garden of Eden. Why? Because even though they were in the Garden, Adam and Eve sinned and they suffered God's judgment. But in Romans 8, you find that it begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. And, And that's the verse that we begin on today. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Look at the Word of God. It says, Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, my hero growing up was a Marine, but he was my pastor, he was my daddy, and and all throughout his ministry, when I would sit under his teaching, he would tell us, if you ever see therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask, what is that? therefore. You've heard that too. And so what is that therefore? How does it get there? Well, the book of Romans is a a book of theology, specifically a book of soteriology. It tells us the doctrine of our salvation. That's why it begins in chapter one with the apostle Paul who wrote this saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And he, he begins telling us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he walks us through the bad news and the good news. So in in Romans 3, in verse 23, we find some of the bad news. All of us have sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so if you don't know that, that's just a biblical principle. The Bible teaches us that every one of us, regardless of our family background, regardless of how we're born, where we're born, we're born with this stain of sin. And we're not sinners just because we do things that are wrong, or we don't do things that are, are right. We're sinners because that's our nature. That's how we're created. And the Bible goes on to say that if our sin is not dealt with, that the punishment for our sin is death. We're separated from God forever. But there's a great verse in Romans that tells us that's not what God wants. And so in Romans 5, 8, it says that God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news that in spite of who I am, God loves me so much that he makes a way for me to have a relationship with him. That's why it says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But in Romans chapter seven, Paul begins to meddle where this Paul, where I live. He sounds kind of spiritually schizophrenic because in chapter seven and verse 15, he says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I do, what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Do you ever feel that way? I I know what I should do, but that's not what I am doing. I know how I should act, but that's not how I am acting. I know what I should say, but, but that's not what I am saying. And in the verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? That's a whole nother lesson, but this is a great passage because the words Paul used there, it, it describes a person who because of their punishment, because of what they had done a crime in the Roman world, they would, they would be punished by carrying around a dead body through the city streets. And Paul is literally saying, this old me, this dead me, I feel like I'm carrying him around, and that's that's what I'm doing, and I know that isn't the way it should be, so who's going to rescue me? But just like he does all throughout Romans, Paul answers the question he asks. And so at the end of this chapter, in verse 25, he says, thanks be to God. Say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God because of the deliverance of Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you understand why Romans 8 verse 1 begins the way it does. That's what it's there for. Therefore, because of the rescue, the deliverance of Jesus Christ our Lord, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus took our condemnation. That's what scripture teaches that beautiful video we saw of the young girl that's gonna be baptized, she quoted John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the good news that John gives us in chapter three doesn't stop there. Notice what verse 17 says. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. When Paul says in Romans 8 verse 1, there's no condemnation in Christ, he's saying, remember, because Jesus came and you have life in him, you don't experience the condemned life, you experience the abundant life. In spite of who you are, when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. The background of that is in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have become a child of God, however you describe that, you've been saved, you've been born again, you've stepped across the faith line, you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, you've yielded to his control, you surrendered, however you say that. If you are a child of God, that means you, through Jesus, have now made peace with God And when God looks at you, it's just as if you've never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. And so I want you to think about that as we now jump into another part of Romans 8. Because all of that is the background as we pick up beginning of verse 12. Therefore, there it is again. And if you see the verses just before that, what you're going to see is that therefore is reminding us that the Spirit of God is living on us and that and that because the Spirit of God is living in us, we're a child of God. And, and if, if the Spirit of God is not living in us, we're not a child of God. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ And if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I want to unpack this for us, but before I do, I want to pray one more time. But I want to ask a personal privilege. My beautiful wife is here with me this weekend. Her dad and mom moved to Tampa to be with us the end of November. Her dad died January 18th. And during the first service, she got a call that her mom is being taken to the hospital with an apparent stroke. And so her name is Carrie. My wife's name is Kimberly. As I pray, would you just take Carrie and Kimberly to the Lord? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you because, man, as even the book of Romans teaches us, you're not caught off guard by the circumstances of our life. Lord, it it never surprises you. And Lord, so that's the case with my mother-in-law, Carrie. I pray for your healing in her life in the name of Jesus. But Lord, that's also the case for us as we gather here. We are here as a part of your divine appointment. So would you, would you allow us to be honored by giving us what we need that we don't have, by teaching us what we've not learned but we need to know, by making us different. Lord I pray that once again you'll take my words and my thoughts and that they would be pleasing to you. And God I, I pray that as we leave this space in a few moments that we will do so led by your spirit. And Lord I pray that there might be someone who hears these words that they leave different. They leave as a child of God for the first time. So we thank you for this in advance. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Remember that one thing I want you to get. When we become a part of the family of God, the spirit of God is living in us and is always working for our good and for God's glory. But I've been around church all my life and I've learned there's a lot of confusion about the spirit of God. Like we know it's there, but we're not sure what to do with it it's kind of like the three sons their mother was now 90 years old they met together they had always been competitive as boys Billy Johnny and and Wilson and and, and they had been competitive in everything they did and, and and they met shortly after their mom's 90th birthday and they were in a restaurant they were all very successful men and they were just talking about what they'd given their mom for her 90th birthday and and Johnny he said well you know, I've, I've been blessed, so I decided to give mom a new home. He he built her a house, gave her a brand new huge house for her 90th birthday. Billy, he said, well, I've been blessed too, but I I just thought mom could use her a new car, so I gave her the, the nicest and newest Mercedes that money can buy. That's what I gave her for her birthday. And, and then Wilson, he said, you know, Mom, the thing that's always stood out to me is that she's a person of, of prayer and of the word. So I, I was reading and, and I heard about this parrot that could quote the whole Bible. And, and mom is uh, almost blind and, and she can't read the Bible anymore. So I began to do some research and, and I realized that it, had, it had taken m- more than two dozen pastors more than a dozen years to train this parrot to memorize and then recite the word of God, and now this preacher owned this bird, and I wanted to get it for our mom and and so I, I found out that I needed to give that that preacher's church a hundred thousand dollars a year for the next 20 years just to get that bird, but but her mom's worth it, and so I, I bought her that parrot. Well, mom got around to sending some thank you notes. Uh, a couple of weeks later, after her birthday, and she sent one to Johnny, and and and, and she said, "Hey, Johnny, thanks for building me uh, this big old new house, but you you may have forgotten I'm I'm a 90 year old lady. I'm I, I pretty much live in one room, uh, but I have to clean the whole thing. Thanks a lot." <laughs> and and she wrote to to Billy, and she said, "Hey, Billy, that sure is a fancy car um, sitting out in the driveway, but." I don't know if you remember, but I'm about 90 years old, um, and I, I can't see. I, don't, I haven't driven for a lot of years, Billy, but thanks a lot. Um, and then she wrote a note to Wilson. She said, oh, Wilson, you must be my favorite son. Thank you for knowing your mother's heart, for knowing your mother's needs. You gave the best gift I could have ever gotten. That chicken was delicious. <laughs> Sometimes we know we've got something, but we don't know what it's for. We don't know how to use it. In a lot of circles, there's talk about whether or not the Holy Spirit is a person. There's talk about what it looks like to have a Holy Spirit. According to Scripture, it's not only the Holy Spirit... Is real, but the Holy Spirit indwells every follower of Christ. That's what we, in in our understanding, believe. When you become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, a third of the Trinity, indwells you. And this is what the Bible even goes on to say, that he not just indwells you, but he seals you until the day of Christ's return. That means nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hands. That's a big deal. So the the question we should be asking when it comes to the Spirit of God is not, do you have the Spirit of God? But does the Spirit of God have you? Is your life being led by the Spirit? And and so I want to take from this passage and just give you four simple truths that are reflected in your life when you're a part of the family of God and you're led by the Spirit of God. Here's the first one. When the Spirit lives in us, we have a new focus. Your perspective changes. We're focused on where the Spirit of God is leading us. We're we're no longer driven by our desires and our motivations and our obligations and our priorities. We're driven by the Spirit of God. That's why when I talk to parents, I, I remind them of the importance of modeling their priorities in life. That's why we say things like, it's unlikely that your children will prioritize the things they watch you marginalize. They they want to see that this God that you profess to follow really is lived out and modeled in your daily living. So we're no longer guided by what Paul wants to do, by my desires, by the longings of my heart, but we're led by the Spirit of God. And you say, well, that sounds good in, in theory, but what does it look like? Well, thankfully, Scripture doesn't leave us wondering. In Galatians 5, Paul says, here's what it looks like when you're not led by the Spirit. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if the Spirit of God is not in you, these kind of things are going to be manifested in your life. What if the Spirit of God is in you? But the fruit of the Spirit is, and you know these, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you're living your life led by the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God are reflected in your daily living. So I want to make it real practical. What does the Spirit of God do for us? Well, one, we've already mentioned, the Holy Spirit connects us. Because the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling you, you will never be left alone from God. Isn't that wonderful to know that nothing I do would cause God to walk out on me? Nothing I'd do in my life would cause him to ever say, nope, I'm done with you, Purvis. You're out of here. No, he connects us to God. But then the Holy Spirit of God perfects us. That's another truth we learn in Scripture. That God takes us where we are, but he doesn't desire to leave us there. So if you're a follower of Christ, if you've been a follower of Christ for five years, you should look different today than you did five years ago. That's the discipling in your life. and. That comes in a lot of ways, but one of the ways is the Spirit of God is perfecting us, moving us, completing us, making us more like Jesus. Then the Spirit of God protects us. How do we know this? Well, this is when we're going to make a decision, and that decision is not honoring to God. It's against the will of God. And so what do we hear in our life? We call it conviction. We we hear the Spirit of God saying, whoa, don't do that. That's a bad move. Aren't you thankful for that truth? The Spirit of God is protecting us. But then the Spirit of God corrects us. So he not only, he doesn't just tell us what not to do, he points us in the right direction. I I grew up, as I told the parents yesterday, kind of with this mantra, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. And and for a lot of you, that was your faith journey. It was a list of do's and don'ts and, and that leads you to maybe worship a moral relevant. A, a, a moral deity, but but it doesn't grow you in, in discipleship. And so then how do you go forward where the Holy Spirit directs us? He helps us know the way to go. Now, again, that's good points from a teaching stage, but how does it work practically? Well, there are two things I, I want to give you uh, that I, I think um, help you experience the focus that the Holy Spirit wants you to have in your life. One of these is revelation. The, the Holy Spirit shows you his revelation, and he does that through his word. So right now, I'm, I'm in the McShane plan. It's a one-year Bible plan where I have a, a, an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage, then another Old Testament passage and another New Testament passage, all four different chapters every day. And it was written by somebody several years ago. And yet it's amazing as I go through that, even today, Sunday morning, about five this morning, how God speaks to me about where I am through his word. That's the revelation of the Holy Spirit of his word. Not new revelations apart from his word. God's never going to give you a revelation contrary to his word, but he reveals his presence and his guidance for you through his word. But what about those things that aren't explicit in his word? whether it's about parenting or marriage or what job I should take or who I should date, these things that maybe aren't explicitly on the pages of Scripture. Well, that's illumination. That's, that's still small voice of God. Earlier this week, I was, I was teaching through a passage in First Kings about Elijah. And I remember when Elijah was, I mean, he wanted to die. He was depressed, and God began to refresh him. And then after God refreshed him, he, he went on a journey. Of, and after going on the journey, God began to reveal himself to him. But it took Elijah a while. Because at first he thought he was going to reveal himself to him in maybe an earthquake or, or maybe a big ball of fire. Maybe a powerful wind. And those, those would not be things that God can't do. In fact, Elijah had seen God reveal himself in those kinds of ways. But no, God chose to reveal himself in what? Remember what it's called in Scripture? A still, small voice. So Elijah was looking for the shock and awe, and, and God gave him the still and the small. And, and I think often in our lives, the illumination that comes from the Holy Spirit comes in these simple and subtle ways where God begins to speak to us. And, and sometimes he gives you his yes, his go, Sometimes he gives you his no, don't do that. Sometimes he just says, whoa, just wait on me a little bit. But here's what I know when the Holy Spirit lives in me, he changes my focus. One last example of this from the Bible. Remember Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. How was the Lord? High and lifted up. And then what did Isaiah say? But woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I I just need you to understand something, those of you who are followers of Christ. The song we sang, Greater You, Lord, the reason we sing worshipful music like that is because we believe that when you see God for who he is, it changes the way that you see yourself. It changes your focus, and you recognize I'm desperate for His leadership in my life. When the Spirit lives in us, we have a new focus. But maybe the best thing is when the Spirit lives in us, we have a new family. Did you see verses 14 and 15? For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, as I read that, I just need to point something out to you. This, let me, this lets me know that, that Oprah's wrong. We're not all children of God. You hear that. You hear people say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. Not according to the scriptures. You become a child of God in a specific way. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So I I want you to have that understanding. But there can be a time you, you become a child of God. How does that take place? Well, it begins with a change of status. He said, you're no longer a slave. What were they slave to? Well, Paul told us about that in Romans 7. Remember when we read it? We were slaves to sin. We find ourselves doing things we don't want to do. It's like toting around a dead body behind us. We we don't have any control. What are we now slaves to? We're slaves to Christ. We're led in his way. But it's not just a, a change in status. It's a change in relationship. He talks about the adoption of a son, In this context, it's literally the adoption of an adult child, and that adult child still gets all the benefit as if they were born into the family. You understand adoption? Some of you in here have adopted. I heard about this preschool class, and they were asked if they understood adoption. The little girl said, yeah, I was adopted. And and mommy told me this is what it means. It means that I grew in her heart rather than in her tummy. See, an adopted child knows that they were chosen. There's no accidents here. This is on purpose. But there's also a change in intimacy. Uh, The intimacy that takes place there, we see it because he says, You can climb up into your new father's lap and you can call him Abba. Now, you know this, so let me just let you shout it back to me. What do we say that word Abba means? It means daddy. When Jesus taught us to pray our Father who art in heaven, you know, he used the same word. He he says, man, daddy who is high and lifted up. And, And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was crying out about the cross, you know, he used the same word, daddy. Our four boys and the two youngest are are away at college they're both strong athletic guys they work out all the time but you know what I love when I call them especially if their friends are not around when I call them this is how they answer the phone hey daddy I just love that because for me they're never too old to call me daddy they're all always going to be my boys I went through the pain in, in the last few years of watching my dad suffer a major stroke and, and then be in a, a nursing home during COVID. It was awful, awful. I would make the drive at least every two weeks, eight hours to South Carolina and spend several days. And It would be just me and him in the room and a lot of the time he, he may not even know I was there. And I would just hold his big old tough Marine hands and, and I would just get up close to him and I'd say, I love you, Daddy. It's just my term of affection. God wants you to know that this relationship change gives you an intimate relationship with him. When you're adopted into the family, you become a child of the king. So the question needs to be asked, have you been adopted into the family? Think about that as I give you this next truth. When the Spirit lives in us, we have a new focus, we have a new family, but when the Spirit lives in us, we also have a new future. This is really exciting. Because I don't know about you, but I get tired of this old world sometimes. I see the difficulties we face and the challenges my children deal with that I I couldn't have imagined that they would deal with. I walk with other families as, as they face illness and unforeseen tragedy. I find comfort in the words of verse 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, and if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What does that mean? It means that because I've been adopted into the family of God, everything that's available to Jesus is now available to me, and that should excite me. That should encourage me. That that should make me grateful for what God has done for me. I have the assurance of his help. I, I have the abundance that he offers. I have the promise and the hope of heaven that this world is not my own. Everything changes. So some of you know that uh, about seven and a half years ago, I had a a big day as a pastor. I'd preached on James 127, and James is a half-brother of Jesus, and he said, this is pure and undefiled religion that you take care of widows and orphans. And so, man, I felt good because I was doing what was pure and undefiled that day. And, And then we brought in Florida Baptist Children's Home, and we... Brought back folks on Sunday nights, and they learned about foster care and adoption and the pro-life movement and how to be against human trafficking. And Man, it was a great day, and I challenged people to step up to the plate, and you need to bring children into your homes. There's there's no reason any orphans should be out there because we are the church, and it was a good day. I went home, and I, I turned to Kimberly at the end of that day, and I said, hey, I just challenged everybody else. Is God saying anything to you? She said, nope. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Our quiver is full. We've got these four boys. And we can't even keep up. Two dogs and a cat. I mean, it was crazy. Next day, I get in my office, and there's a text from a man in our church. And the text simply says, Pastor, do you think there's anybody in our church that would be open to foster care and with the potential for adoption? I thought, well, that's odd. So I got kind of self-righteous in the moment, and I pick up the phone, and I call him, and I said, hey, Bart. Man, were you at church yesterday? And it got kind of quiet. And he said, No, Pastor, we've we've not been able to come to church. We've we've taken our great granddaughter into our home and she was taken from my granddaughter because of drugs and abuse. And she's never been around kids and she was born blind. We just our hands are full. He said, You know, I've just been remarried a year and this is just quite a strain. I was just wondering if there's anybody in the church that might be able to help, at least temporarily. So then my tone changed and I said, man, Bart, this is your lucky day. I mean, God's working in this. In the next office, one of our pastors, there's a big old long list of people that signed up last night just to do this very thing. This is what we focused on all day yesterday. I said, let me go. But before the words came out of my mouth, I said, give me about 24 hours. God had begun to stir in my heart and I, I went home and I said to Kimberly, hey, you think that could be us? she looked at me and she said, no, I think that is us. And so it took about a, an, another uh, a year or so, but we found ourselves standing before a judge. And that little girl who had come into our home was now going to be named a Purvis. She was going to be legally our child. That was an intense moment. I'd never stood before a judge like that. And so we were before the judge, and, and that all happened. And in an instant, you know what changed? Everything for Anaya. her destiny changed because in this home she would hear about Jesus and in this home a few years later she would give her life to Jesus. Her eternity would be changed because of that moment. But not just that, she was a purpose from then on. She now had four big brothers. She didn't even know it then, but in a few years she would have another sister because one of her big brothers would get married and everything that her mom and dad has, bills and all. <laughs> will one day be hers, just like they'll one day belong to her brothers. And the Bible says that when you're adopted into the family of God, everything that belongs to Jesus is available to you. But there's another thing I want you to see that's not in the verses we read. I I believe Romans 8 teaches us that when the Spirit of God lives in us, we have a new fervency. You know what that word means? It's a a new intensity, a new power. There's something available to us that we didn't have. Now, listen to this in the verses I'm going to read. And let me tell you what's just happened. Paul has just said, you're going to have some struggling times, some suffering. Let me just see if you're with me. Anybody out here ever had any hard times, any suffering? Let me see your hands. Yeah, I tell our church all the time, you're in one of three categories. You're either in a storm or you've just come out of a storm, or buckle up, buttercup. You may not realize it, but you're about to walk into a storm. And so Paul says, in light of this storm, there's groanings that is taking place. He says, all of creation is groaning, and the creatures, you people are groaning. But he says, I've got some good news. The creator is also groaning. And so listen to verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he searches our hearts, and he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That is one of the most encouraging verses in Scripture. Did you catch what it says? Even when I don't know what to say to God, even when I don't know what to pray to God, the Spirit living in me will take over And do what I cannot do. He gives me power I did not have. Fervency. God loves me so much. That the spirit of God in me will cry out to the father. When I need his help. That's a big deal. One of my favorite preachers is a man named Dr. Robert Smith. He teaches at Beeson Divinity School. He he teaches preachers. But I heard him tell... A story while preaching on this passage one time, and he talked about his mentor in ministry, his father in the pastorate, and how this man had gotten older and he had developed Alzheimer's. But all of his preacher boys wanted to honor him, and so they threw this big celebration and they invited him. They were hoping he would come. They knew he may not even know what was going on, but they put something on the program that they had always done any time they were with their father in the ministry. They put at the end of the program a spot for him to end singing. And they even put on the program what he would sing. It was a song he was known for, the old hymn, Precious Lord. They didn't know if it would happen, but when the end of the service came, the man walked up with his wife to the platform. But he had that stare some of us had seen, that Alzheimer's stare. He just looked out at the crowd and he didn't really say anything. And then his wife leaned in and whispered into his ear. Precious Lord. And it's like something clicked. And he began to sing. Precious Lord. She leaned in again and she whispered. Take my hand. And he sang. Take my hand. And she leaned in again. Lead me on. Lead me on. Let me stand, but then it clicked, and he took over. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When I heard that story, I thought about this passage. We don't have somebody beside us. We have the spirit of the living God in us. And when we need help, when we don't know what to say, when we've lost the power, when we don't understand, when we can't trace his hand, when we don't see his plan, we can trust his heart. And that's why this pinnacle verse in Romans 8, the Mount Everest perhaps of the Bible that we all know and we turn to, that's why we can believe it when it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Our God is good and he does good. He's working for your good and for his glory. God's at work for your good. Not for your comfort, not for your prosperity, not to keep you from walking through any storm, but for your good. God's at work for your good in all things. That means even the negative trials that you walk through can bring him glory and have a positive effect in your life. God is at work for your good in all things because you love him. And this should not be surprising because he's already told you there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's no separation from his love. So Christ follower, carry on, led by the Spirit of God. Live your life in such a way that others will see there's someone living in you that makes you different. And if you're not yet a child of God, then why would you not want to experience what I've just described. I made a decision as a young seminarian not to tell the truth of God's word without giving people an opportunity to respond. So let me just make it really clear as we end. Like I said earlier, you were born separated from God. It's not what you did, it's just who you are. You're a sinner. If that's not dealt with, you'll be separated from God forever. But God doesn't want that. That's why he demonstrated his love. And that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what do we do? Romans 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Oh friend, if you don't know my Jesus, if you've not yet become a child of God, I'm praying that this is the day of your salvation. Would you bow your head with me? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I always think you need to ask, now what do I do in light of what I've heard? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there are probably some areas of this spirit-led life that you need to adjust. And by God's grace, just... Cling to him and ask his spirit to guide you as you reflect these things in your daily living. But if you've never cried out to God for salvation, here's my belief. He is calling out to you today. So in your words, right where you are, you might disagree with him. God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe what you've done for me, Jesus. You died for the forgiveness of my sin. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. So I'm repenting. I'm turning from my way. And I'm going to follow you. Lord, I thank you for the truth that we're never alone in this journey as your children. God, may we reflect you well, even as we go today. And I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus.